This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Well, last week I uh, sang a song in my sermon and um, it didn't go well at home after that with three teenagers. I got voted off, you know, like one and done, one and done. Um, and, um, but but what I, the reason I was singing uh, last week in the sermon was to celebrate the truth that we have belonging in the Spirit of God. That the Holy Spirit gives us belonging. And I just thought, you know what, like that is so good, it's worth like singing in the sermon over. Just to celebrate. So I sang the old Cheers theme song and realized that about 30% of the congregation knew it. And um, so I have no songs for us in the sermon um, today. But I, but I am still captivated by this idea of belonging. Of belonging. Indeed, the Apostle Paul continues to talk about this rich and wonderful belonging we have in the Holy Spirit. What we said last week was, um, you don't have to do stupid things to belong to God. You know, it, to belong to groups of people in this world, sometimes you have to do stupid things for them to accept you and to be approved and to be voted in. And we also said you don't have to, like, do this long checklist of spiritual boxes you have to check to belong to God. Uh, what we saw last week is that, indeed, belonging is a gift from the Holy Spirit. It's given to us. We don't earn it. We don't do stupid things. We don't do spiritual things. We just receive it as a gift, this rich and wonderful belonging. And in our text this morning, we're going to see three ways that we belong to God. Um, putting a title on the sermon is the last thing that you do. And um, uh, I, I didn't really like the title that I had for this morning. Um, it was, um, Who's Your Daddy? And I just thought, I don't know about that. Like, that was the best that I came up with. And I think you'll see why as we get into the text, why I was thinking. Um, but I just thought, this is actually a better title than Who's Your Daddy? I'm just leaving it blank. And... Um, We'll upload the sermon to YouTube and to the podcast today. If you've got a better title than Who's Your Daddy, would you come up to me to, afterwards and say, here you go, Pastor. Hey, teamwork will make the dream work, right? So you just finish the sermon, put the cherry on top with a better title than Who's Your Daddy. Um, three ways we belong to God we see in Romans 8, 12 through 17. So I want you to follow along with me. We'll pray, and then we'll dig in together. The Apostle Paul wrote... Inspired by the Holy Spirit. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray in Jesus' name and by your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us personally powerfully in these moments together in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, the first way that we belong to God that we see in this text is that we are debtors. We are debtors. Look at verses 12 through 13 with me. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, this is a curious phrase because like our our mantra, our banner, our, our gospel is that Jesus paid our debt. We sing about it, we preach about it, we celebrate it. Jesus paid our debt. When he was on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. And what he was talking about was all the payment that needed to be paid to forgive his church of their sin. It's paid. It's paid. So we sing songs like, he paid our debt. He paid our debt. So in what way are we debtors? Well, Jesus paid our sin debt. What we owed because of our sin. In, in, in other words, we... We owed a debt that we could not pay. Some of you just graduated from college and you incurred a lot of debt. And it feels as though you will never pay it off. You know, it, it shows up as a little piece of paper on that month and there it is in black and white. And it's on the paper, but it's also on your shoulders. And you feel that, that weight of debt. That's our sin debt. We could never pay our sin debt. Hallelujah, Jesus paid it. Hallelujah, we don't have to taste the wrath of God. That's why in Romans 8, he says there's therefore now no condemnation. Jesus will never condemn you. The Father will never condemn you because Jesus was condemned on the cross for us. He paid our sin debt. So in what way, in what sense are we debtors? Well, God has now given us his Holy Spirit. So now we have a, a, a debt that he's given us. So it's not, a, it's not a debt of sin that we've committed, that we can't pay. But now he actually empowers us by his spirit to live a life that we owe to him. What do we owe to him? We, we owe him our everything, right? I love the themes in scripture that, that G, Jesus said it this way. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So I love the motivation of love as our motivation for obedience. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I love the motivation of delighting in the Lord. But what we see in this particular text is that we owe it. We owe it to the Lord. In other words, Jesus went to the cross. He paid our sin debt. He's filled us with his spirit. So what do we owe him? Everything. Our minutes, our moments, our weeks, our days, our months, our years, our whole life. Our emotional energy, our time, our money. Well, what specifically does the text say that we owe? We owe a life lived by the spirit. We owe we owe God to put to death the deeds of the body. That's what, look at it with me again. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Eternal separation from God, spiritual death forever. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. This is what we're debtors to, is to put to death the deeds of the body. Now here Paul uses the word body, and he's using it in the same way that he uses the word flesh. What does it mean? It means our natural state devoid of the Spirit of God. So we're all born in a natural state in our flesh, in our body, and that's the term that the Bible uses to describe our natural state without the Spirit of God living in us. It's the flesh. It's the body. When we turn to Jesus and trust in him, he fills us with his spirit. So no longer are we just in our natural state. Now we're in a supernatural state with the spirit of God. There's a spiritual battle then that's going to go on for the rest of our earthly life of the flesh and the spirit. 
Because the flesh is still kicking around, but now we have power to put the deeds of the body, to put the deeds of the flesh to death by the Spirit of God. So we're empowered by the Spirit. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. So what are the deeds of the body that we're supposed to put to death? Well, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Paul in Galatians said it this way. Now, the works of the flesh or the works of the body, they're evident. And he gives this list, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, Paul's saying, look, that's not all of it. That's not, that's not like all the deeds of the flesh. There's a lot of deeds of the flesh. In other words, the, the things that you would do in the body devoid of the Spirit of God, anything that goes against God and his ways, these the deeds, of the, the deeds of the flesh. So these are the deeds of the body. So how do we put them to death? That's what Paul is saying we're debtors to do. We owe this to God because he's given us his spirit, the spirit that gives us life and joy and peace. So we owe to God to buy the spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So how do we do that? Well, look with me again at the text. So then, brothers, verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, look at this phrase, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do we put to death the deeds of the body? By the Spirit. By the Spirit. Dependent upon the Spirit of God, walking closely with God. Dependent upon the Spirit of God, walking closely with God. With God. Now, I know that some of you love checklists, and I want to be really practical this morning and give you uh, ways that you can put to death the deeds of the body. And the first way is just you got to get honest. You gotta get, you've got to get honest. We, we, we say it here, keep it real. In other words, you're never going to put to death the deeds of the body unless you're honest about the deeds of the body that you're struggling with. You're, you're never going to put to death the deeds of the body if you pretend like they're not a problem. If you keep him in the dark, if you don't talk to God about it, if you don't bring it into the light, you, listen, you have to be honest with yourself and you have to be honest with God if you're going to have any hope of putting to death the deeds of the body. So keep it real. 1 John 1.8 says, if, if you say you have no sin, you've deceived yourself and you make God a liar. That's what you do when you don't get real about the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh that are running around in your life, out being manifested in your life. The next step is to stand in grace. This is so good. In other words, the, listen, the moment that you get real about your sin, if you turn to Jesus, grace, grace, grace. He washes us, he cleans us, he forgives us. That's why Paul started Romans 8 with verse 1 where he says, there is, therefore, now no condemnation. When you stand in grace, you just say, God, I am guilty. And he says louder, not guilty. (laughs) Why? Because he declared Jesus guilty for your sin on the cross so that he could speak over your life. Not guilty. Loved, cherished, treasured, forgiven, clean, free. Who needs to stand in that this morning? Just turn that up on volume 10. Free, forgiven, chosen, adopted, treasured. Love, clean, hallelujah, this is how you stand in grace. So you got to get honest about the deeds of the flesh. And then when you're honest, just stand under the waterfall of his love and his grace and believe that his grace is sufficient for you. 
I want to encourage you then to read your Bible daily. This is the way, this is the way in part that we get filled with the Spirit of God is we read the sword of the Spirit. It's the, the, the sacred scriptures is God's revelation to us. And so when you read and when you saturate your mind and your heart with the sacred scriptures, the Holy Spirit begins to fill you. Listen, some of you have called yourself Christians for years, but you've never gotten serious about having a daily Bible reading regimen. And you're not going to be able to put to death the deeds of the body without it. You've got to have God's word stored up in your heart. Psalm 119, verse 9, 10, and 11, the psalmist asked the question, how does a young man keep his way pure? According to the spirit, not according to the flesh. And then he answers the question by guarding it according to your word. And then in verse 11, he says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Listen, you can't overcome those terrible sins that are nagging at you, those deeds of the body, those deeds of the flesh, without getting into God's word daily. Oh, read God's word daily and pray constantly. This sounds impossible, I know. But it's, listen, this is not, these steps are not intended to be a law that if you don't do, you feel guilty about not doing them. This list of practical things are actually gifts from God on how he wants to empower you to experience more life, more joy, more peace. In other words, these are means of grace that God invites you into. It's a privilege to engage in reading his word and in praying in their gifts that God has given us. Not laws that you have to obey. They're gifts that God has given you to say, if you'll engage in these, I'll empower you by my spirit. Church, do you see that? So don't misunderstand this because I got a long list for you. And you can be like, that's so overwhelming. I'm like, no, pick a couple and try it. Pick a couple and see if God doesn't start doing a new work, a fresh work in your life. If you begin to put some of these in practice, read your Bible daily, pray constantly. Listen, I want for you, church, to to experience the reality that because the, the curtain in the temple was torn, because Jesus went to the cross for us, you can talk to God anywhere, anytime, about anything. You don't have to bow your head. You don't have to close your eyes. You just speak to the Father. It can be a long prayer. It can be a short prayer. It can be an angry prayer. It can be a sad prayer. It can be a happy prayer. What's important is that if you talk to him, it's a prayer. It's a talk. And I love, listen, whether you're on your way to work, whether your boss just came and dumped on you at work, it doesn't matter. You can talk to God anytime in from your heart because his spirit is bearing witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Listen, God cares about what you care about. He cares about all of it. So what do you care about that you've not talked to him about? Talk to him about it. When? All the time. All the time. I'm nervous. Talk to him about it. I'm happy. Talk to him about it. I just, I just crushed something at work. Give God glory for it. I'm scared about this. Talk to him about it. <laughs> did, you know, did you know in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 7 The Apostle Paul said, husbands and wives should not stop having sex with one another regularly, except to pray. If they both agree, you both got to agree, and you go and do it, you go and pray for the purpose of prayer. That's how good prayer is. Just, Just saying. Some of you don't believe me, try it. That's how good prayers. Pray constantly. Fast regularly. Fast regularly. What is fasting? Fasting is 
saying, instead of eating this meal, I'm going to spend time with God. And what we see in the Bible are a couple of things. Listen, Jesus expected his disciples to fast. If you're a disciple of Jesus, why don't you fast? Why don't you do it? It's, it's probably because you haven't got serious about putting to death the deeds of the body. It's probably, it's probably because there's too much apathy in your heart toward your relationship with God. God wants something better for you. So what is it? You, you set aside a meal, and instead of eating, you choose to spend time in God's presence, reading his word and in prayer. Jesus said in, in the word, he said there, there are certain powerful things that, he, that God intends to do in our lives that will not happen except through prayer and fasting. Through prayer and fasting. The book of Hebrews said that there's a sin that so easily entangles. And you know what I'm talking about because it just keeps tripping you up. It's either gossip or anger or lust or laziness or doubt or fear or whatever it is. There's a sin that so easily entangles and you so desperately want to overcome it. Friends, it may be that the only way you're going to put to death that deed of the flesh is by saying no to lunch and saying yes to the presence of Jesus. You say, Pastor, why is it? Why, why is it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why God made it that way. He just made it that way. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Why? I don't, I don't know. But the invitation is to feast upon the bread of life, Jesus himself. You know, when you fast, you realize what you're controlled by. When, when you fast and you get angry, that you get hangry, you know, you're hangry. Like, I haven't eaten lunch, so I'm, I'm hangry, I'm hungry, and I'm angry. I'm angry because I'm hungry, and I hadn't eaten. Have you ever had that? No, because you hadn't fasted, right? I get it, all right, all right. Some of you are going to be hangry this week because you're going to try fasting for the first time. And when you get angry while you're fasting, it exposes how fleshly we are. It exposes how our appetites are controlling us. And we want to be controlled by the Spirit of God. So that's why we fast, to sow to the Spirit, to put to death the deeds of the body, to be filled with the Spirit of grace and love and the Holy Spirit of God. Spend time with godly people. Some of you are like, man, I pray, that I, I read the Bible, I talk to God all the time, every now and then I fast, you know, like I see this preacher on TV saying fast, you know, like I do it, watch those preachers on TV, what you watching? Watch this preacher, you know, the Bible says test all the spirits, I'm just you got to spend time with godly people. Some of you are like, man, I do all this, but my closest friends, man, they don't love God. I don't receive support for my spiritual life from my closest friends. That's a problem. Proverbs 13, 20 says, if you walk with the wise, you'll grow wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. It corrupts it. Your heart might be bending toward God. Your life might be engaging in these spiritual disciplines. But if your closest friends that you spend most of your time with don't love God, you're going to be more likely to live in the flesh, not in the spirit. It doesn't mean that we don't have friends that don't love God. It just means our closest friends that we spend a lot of time with need to encourage us to live a life that's yielded to the spirit of God. And in those group of people, I want to encourage you to secure accountability. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. When I was in college, I secured a, an accountability partner. I was struggling with lust. I was looking at pornography. I desperately needed somebody to sit down with me on a weekly basis and say, Have you looked at pornography? I needed that. Some of you need that this morning. That's why I put it up here, secure accountability. 
Because right now it's in the dark, nobody knows, and until you get it in the light, and until a friend knows, the devil is going to continue to have a foothold in your life. You're going to continue to live to the flesh. And Paul says, that's death. That's death. So you've got to secure accountability, but you've got to secure the right kind of accountability. My accountability partner, every time I would tell him that I'd sinned, he'd get really mad at me. I was like, man, this, I don't know about this accountability stuff, you know. He'd just get mad. Listen, one of our values at Real Life is grace and truth in relationships. So you've got to secure accountability, not just ask for it and then blame them for not following through. No, secure it. Get it on lockdown. Tell somebody, you know, put your hand on their shoulders and say, I need accountability. But make sure that they're ministering God's grace to you and God's truth. When I was growing up, there was a V8 commercial. Do you remember the V8 commercial? It's like, you know, if people didn't have their V8 that morning, they'd walk around sideways like this, you know. Haven't had my V8 today, anybody? I know, it's like nobody gets my illustrations because I grew up in the 80s. Everybody's like, yeah. We're 20 years old. Thank you. I see you. You got the V8 thing. Anyways, he didn't have his V8, so he's walking sideways all day long, right? Like, you know, it's like walking sideways. Listen, if you secure accountability and all they do is minister grace to you and they're unwilling to tell you the hard truth, they're unwilling to be firm, you're going to be walking around like this. All you, I just, I'm not even right because all I get is grace. But if you secure accountability and they don't minister God's grace to you and all they do is tell you the truth about your sin and how you need to repent and that's all you get is just firm calls to repentance, you're going to be walking around like this, hardly believing God loves you. And so you got to get accountability, grace, and truth from somebody that loves you and loves you enough to speak the hard truth to you, but loves God enough to minister his grace to you and secure accountability. Avoid being idle by setting your calendar. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, those verses 6 through 12 on repeat talk about the dangers of idleness. The dangers of idleness. What I'm not talking about is seeing Sunday as your Sabbath and purposing to rest on the Sabbath. No, that's beautiful, holy, commanded by God. You need rest. You carve out that time to rest, specific, specific things. But, but maybe, maybe you need to determine how am I going to rest? What am I going, what specifically am I going to do to rest? It, if you leave large pockets of your time unaccountable, the devil will get a foothold, your flesh will rear its head. So account for your time, and this will help you put to death the deeds of the body. And then finally, gouge out your eye. Gouge out your eye. If you've not been reading the Bible much, you don't know what this is a reference to, but Jesus once said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, for it would be better to go into heaven like with a lamed body than to go into hell with your whole body. And now we get the challenge of going, was Jesus speaking literally or figuratively? I had a buddy that I was getting to know. He was a church planter in Arizona, and I was pastoring a church in Arizona. And my buddy had a glass eye. And uh, I didn't know why he had a glass eye, and we went to lunch, and I, I can't remember if he told me why. I, I can't remember if we asked, hey, how'd you get the glass eye? Or if he just decided to tell us. But he begins to tell us a story about when he was in high school, he wasn't walking with the Lord. And um, he got alone with some friends one night. Parents were out of town. He threw a big party. He got drunk, and at 2 in the morning, he starts reading the Bible. And he comes to that text where Jesus said, if your, if your eye causes you to, 
sin gouge it out. And he grabbed a fork and he just started going to town on his eye. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? He's like, no, man, I'm just kidding. I'm like, I asked the first service if I should use that illustration in the second. And they, there were like two people that said, don't use it. Everybody else was like, use it. Why does Jesus say gouge out your eye? If, you, if you're looking at pornography, does Jesus want you to go get a butter knife and go to town on it this afternoon? Probably not. Jesus used a frightening image to sober us to the core. He leveraged language to get our attention and to convey a level of urgency about putting to death the deeds of the body. Jesus used language to shock us, to wake us up, and to convey a truth that should sober us to the core, to say, whatever it takes, I must put this sin to death. The great Puritan John Owen said, we must always be killing sin or sin will be killing us. Church, God is for you. This list is not a list of laws that you should go home and do and you should feel guilty if you don't do them. They're gracious gifts. They're invitations. But God is saying, I love you. I want to empower you. Capture a couple of these and just see how I transform your life if you'll put these into practice. They're means of grace that God gives us. It's an invitation to walk with God in a different way to experience the power of God so that you can put to, de- put to death the deeds of the body. So three ways we belong to God. We are debtors and we are children of God. We became children of God through adoption. Look at verses 14 through 16 with me, will you? Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He uses this really intimate Hebrew word of daddy to to describe this intimate relationship as a children adoption is an amazing thing isn't it don't you love hearing stories of how people adopt God grips their hearts with compassion and and he leads them to make great sacrifices to adopt sometimes it's financial sacrifices and sacrifices of time and sacrifices of adjustments and sacrifices of eternity to adopt someone the good news is that God in Christ has adopted us as his children He saw us in our spiritually orphaned state, and he knew that we would be stubborn, and he knew that we would be apathetic, and he knew that we would be really slow to learn, and he wanted us. He chose us. It's not random. It's not by chance. He chose to set his adopting love upon us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. There's an old saying that you don't get to pick your family, and that's true, right? 
<laughs> that, that's true, except when you adopt. And when you adopt, you actually select. You actually pick your, your family. And that's what God has done for his children. He said, I want you. I see you in your sin, and I want you. I see you in your rebellion, and, and, I, and I want you. I, I, I adopt I adopt you. I, lo I love to think that he signed the adoption papers with the blood of his son, and he brought us home when he filled us with his spirit. And here's the result that Paul tells us in the text. The result is, is that for all of us, being adopted as a child of God frees us from fear. Look at it with me in the text again. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into what? Look at it with me. Look at it with me. Thank you. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to try it again. Look at it. Verse 14. You tracking? For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into what? Fear. To fall back into fear. But you received... You received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Don't you love in the middle of the night when a kid gets scared? What does he do? What does she do? He like makes a beeline to mom and dad's bed. Why? Because there's something about being with their parents that dissolves their fears. And when we draw near to God and we understand that we're a child of God, our fears dissolve. Friends, church, family, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of relational rejection? Are you afraid of failure? Are you afraid of betrayal? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of conflict? Are you afraid of our country crumbling? Are you afraid of the future? Are you afraid of the unknown? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of crowds? Are you afraid of being known? Are you afraid of pain? Are you afraid of not being in control? When you were a child of the eternal God, the one who with a word created the world, the one who calls the stars by name, when he's your dad and you've had enough time with him to hear his wisdom and to experience the strength of his love, you walk around the playground of life confident, fearless, staring every fear in the face, declaring, my dad is stronger than you. My dad is stronger than you. Being an adopted child of God, and enjoying a deep relationship with him can dissolve any fear. Can I just say that again? Church, this is what it means to be a child of God. This is what it means to be adopted. Being an adopted child of God and enjoying a deep relationship with him can dissolve any fear in your life. And the insanity of it all, the insanity of it all, is that some of us want our fears. We want to keep them. We want to cling to them more than we want to trust him and cling to him. What is it about being a child of God that you haven't yet taken hold of? What is it about being a son or daughter of the king of kings that hasn't yet taken root in you? What is it about his love? What is it about his power that you don't yet understand? What is it about our great dad that you haven't yet experienced or don't yet trust? Are you ready to get serious about your fears? Let me just give you a couple things. Write down every specific fear you can't seem to overcome. Have you ever done that? 
Some of you feel paralyzed by fear. You feel like fear dominates your life. You feel like fear rules your life. Others of you are like, man, it doesn't dominate my life, but there is this one fear that I can't overcome. Write it down. Write it down. Write write exactly what it is. Some of you are like, I got 30 fears. Write them all down. Every one of them. Write them down. Get Get clarity on what you're afraid of. And then take it to God. Take it to the prayer station. Take it to your community group. And say, here's the fears that I can't overcome. I need help. God, I need your help. I need to see you as a father that loves me with a pure love and that you're stronger than everything in the universe. You created it. Lord, help me to see you. You go to friends. You go to the prayer station. You pray. Say, here's my fears I can't seem to overcome. And then answer this question. In the process, answer this question. If God is my father, why am I afraid the fill in the blank. Listen, friends, God does not want you to live your life in fear. He doesn't want fear to have a foothold in your heart, not for a moment. He wants you to be free. Jesus said, if the, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. He went to the cross, he rose from the dead, he filled you with his spirit to set you free from fear, not to walk in it. He adopted you as his child so that you could experience confidence. In the absence of fear in your life, to take it to God. Get serious about your fears. Experience his love. Watch them begin to dissolve. We are debtors and we are children of God. And lastly, we are heirs of God. We're heirs. Look at verse 17 with me. We'll pick up in verse 16 and then 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified him. What, what's an heir? An heir is the next in the family lineage, the next in line, someone that's going to receive an, an inheritance. John D. Rockefeller Jr. was the heir to John D. Rockefeller Sr. And he was left in his inheritance $1.4 billion worth of money and real estate and stocks and stuff. Today, in today's time, it would have translated as tens of billions of dollars. John D. Rockefeller, he built what we know now, the junior, built what we now know as uh, Rockefeller Plaza. He donated the land for where the United Nations is built in, in New York City. He just had tens of billions of dollars, and he built things, and he gave it away. And it's just like, truly like kind of awesome when you think about John D. Rockefeller Jr. being an heir to John D. Rockefeller Sr. and all that was left for him. But Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. What does that mean? It means Rockefeller Center, it belongs to God. United Nations, it belongs to God. Every island in the Caribbean, it's his. Every mountain in the Himalayas, it's the Lord's. Every... Every penny, every dollar, every gold coin, it all belongs to the Lord. And what Peter says about our inheritance as being an heir of God, in 1 Peter 1.4, Sam read it. He said, you've been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's coming for us. <laughs> what, did, what did dad leave you in the will? all of it we will rule and reign with him in the new heavens in the new earth that's why psalm 23 says the lord is my shepherd 
I shall not want. It's because he's assuming we would understand to be an heir of God is to understand it's all ours. It's, it's being kept in heaven. And one day when Christ returns, it's all going to be made clear. The Bible says we see through glass dimly right now, but one day we will see clearly. We will see clearly. The Bible tells us that what no, no, eye, no, no, no ear has heard, no eye has seen, nor the heart of man has imagined what God has for him. So, so what can be a good indicator for you and I that we're an heir, that this inheritance is coming for us? Look back at verse 17 with me. What's a good indicator? It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Jesus gave this this curious parable in the Gospels about sowing seed. And, And Jesus described these four different soils. And he described seed being sown in these soils. And two of the soils were bad ground and the seed didn't take root and nothing grew up out of it. In, in, one, in one of the soils, the seed sprung up quickly and then it was scorched out by the heat. And then, when, and then one, of the, one of the soils, the seed took root and it grew and it produced. And then Jesus goes on to interpret the parable. And he describes the seed that, that came into the soil that sprung up quickly and then got scorched out. Jesus describes that, that experience as the cares of the world, the worries of the world. Squelched it out. And, and so what, what we see here is sobering because the Apostle Paul said, you're an heir, it's all coming to you, Dad left it all in the will to his children. (laughs) Eternal, endless, ever-increasing joy. That's what's coming for us. Provided you suffer with him. Whoa. Whoa. What does that mean? That means to belong to him, we suffer. And we don't let the difficulties of following Jesus and we don't let the difficulties of putting to death the deeds of the body, and we don't let persecution, and we don't let whatever other suffering come our way, we don't let it cause us to throw the towel in on our faith. We don't quit following Jesus because it gets hard. We don't quit trusting Jesus because life is painful. We don't quit blessing Jesus because we're suffering. He says, you're an heir. It's all yours, provided you suffer with him. Provided you suffer with him. Next week, we're going to be talking about the sufferings of this world. It's what comes next in the text. The week after that, we're going to hear a testimony of some real lifers that have suffered greatly. Church, you're going to be inspired. You're going to be encouraged. I want you to be here because God is building us as we study the sacred scriptures together. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Oh, God. Oh, how we need you, Lord. Every breath, every moment. What an awesome and mighty God you are, oh God. Father, I thank you for these people, your bride. And Lord, I pray that we might bring pleasure to you. Thank you for the belonging that we have as debtors and children and heirs. Give us spiritual sight to see the wonder of it all. 
move in our hearts mightily, O Lord. Give us resolve and devotion to persevere and to endure suffering because we're your children and we're your heirs. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.